0: So, today, we're in our second part of our three-part Bible study. Today's the meat, it's the dirty, is the Bible study's name. And, and part two is Jesus' response, His response specifically to the Pharisees and scribes that came down, looking to accuse Him and really digging in on Him because He didn't wash His hands before the meal him and his disciples. So legitimate, legitimate questions to ask the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to earth to save mankind. We're concerned that you don't wash your hands like everybody else does. But today we're looking at uh, specifically, again, Jesus's response to accusations of the Pharisees and scribes that he wasn't fulfilling the law the way that it was supposed to be fulfilled, when in fact that was false. Because the Torah we talked about last week is God's written law to the people. Jesus did not transgress any part of the Torah by doing what he did and allowing his disciples to eat and not take part in the ceremonial cleanliness that everybody else did. The Mishnah was the spoken law. It was what uh, the religious elite set up around the original law sort of kind of as a fence so they wouldn't transgress the law of God. What it became was a standard for the people that God didn't intend for the people to have at all. How many of you think that you've experienced or met somebody before that tries to set up a standard that God never intended you to have. I have. I meet people all the time who say, This is what God wants. This is what God expects. And I say, Well, show me that in the Bible. Well, you know, that's how we've done it. You know, we don't have drums, or we dress up in suits, or we all cut our hair the same way. We live in Montana. <laughs> I like Montana. The point is, God doesn't want it to be more difficult for people to come to have a relationship with Him than He originally intended. And as easy as it is for us to have a relationship with God is only simply to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, repent of our sins, believe in His death and resurrection, and we will be saved, not by works, but by faith by grace so that the confidence that we have isn't in what we do it's in who god is so this next section the middle of the sandwich or the burger or whatever you want it to be you know the the package that we're looking at in these three studies this second part we're looking at three stories this morning jesus has an interaction with this, the pharisees and scribes And then these three stories emphasize or demonstrate what Jesus' heart is for people. He was talking to the people who were Israelites. He was talking to the religious elite, those who looked clean on the outside, those who Jesus called out, we said last week, as what? Posers. They were... Actors. They were making themselves out to be something that they were not. And then we're going to see as Jesus reaches out to people who are the fringe of society, if you will, even the rejected that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. So let's start in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. You guys have been following along with us the last few weeks. We know that Jesus and his disciples are exhausted, they're tired. It's one thing after another. They just had interaction. They're getting flack from Jerusalem. They're sending these delegations to give them a hard time. Now, we see Jesus withdrawing even more and asking people, don't tell anybody where I am. Now, we don't, you know, that's not typical. But what we do see in Jesus doing that is he's going to be able to receive some kind of rest with his disciples, but he's also going to minister to a new group of people. And he goes to... This Gentile area that's comprised mostly of people who are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. Otherwise known as unclean. Those who are rejected. We're going to see in the story, but the Jews like to refer to them as dogs. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now this is probably one of the most Uh, derogatory, if you will, things that Jesus has ever said to anybody apart from the Pharisees and scribes when he calls them a brood of vipers. And what what is happening here is this woman comes to Jesus. She's a Greek. She's a Gentile. She's not an Israelite. And it says there, look, you can circle in your Bible and she kept asking him. Do you know what that indicates? That there probably wasn't an immediate response. What is the gospel of Narc, uh, Mark? Narc. What is the gospel of Mark known for? What do we see over and over again with Jesus and his disciples? Immediately, 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 immediately they get up, they go, immediately. He does this. But he's not immediately fulfilling this woman's request. And what does she do? She doesn't turn around and walk away. She says, hey. I need you. I know you can help me. And she continues to implore that he would help her daughter and cast out this unclean spirit. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, Jesus is referring to what everybody referred to this group of people as dogs. It was common. But in the Greek, this word for dog, there's two different words for dogs. There's like a filthy street dog because Greek's very specific, there's like a filthy street dog, but this isn't that kind of dog. This is like a little lap dog. It even says little dog. It's like a little dog that would be a pet. And Jesus says, we don't, you know, we don't take the dog, the pup. We don't take the, you know, the pet and, and put it to the table and let it eat with the children. No, we eat with the children first, and, and then the dog gets fed later. This is very clearly signifying and showing that the gospel was supposed to go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. But notice this Jesus is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles because he's there. And he's healing them. And he's meeting with maybe Israelites that shouldn't be there. You know why? Because Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. I don't know about you guys, but you understand when we say, come as you are, right? We, we know what that means, but we don't really fully mean it, you know? <laughs> come as you are, but, you know, try to make yourself look a little bit lo- better, you know, a little presentable. Try to work on some of those issues that you're having. Try to start working on your language or, you know, your, your, your mentality, Maybe we don't say it, but we have some expectations for people, which isn't right. When Jesus says, come as you are, he means, very literally, he wants to meet you exactly where you are at. And that's what he does here. This woman is unclean. He shouldn't even have to be having any dialogue with her. But he is He's allowing her to implore him. And his response, is, his response is, listen to this, it's a parable. We've seen these parables that Jesus has been telling. He says to her in a parable, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. How brilliant. Do you guys understand what just happened when she responded that way? This woman is the only reported person in the gospel of Mark so far that understood a parable Jesus was saying. Nobody else understood any parables. Just waking you up. They're like, what do you mean, Jesus? He's like, how can I be any clearer? You guys are my disciples. I mean, I knew I would have to explain it to the crowds, but you guys, come on, get it together. And he meets this woman for the first time and she's like, please, 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 please. He spits out this parable and she responds to him. She had ears to hear. She had ears of faith. She had a place, a heart of submission to somebody that she believed who he said he was fully and this is what she's commended for somebody that nobody else wanted to have anything to do with especially if you were a jew go away take care of your demon possessed daughter leave us alone then he said to her for this for this saying go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter When she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter laying on the bed. Listen, if we recognize our state, if we recognize our need and we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need help. I need you. I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm not going to be able to figure this out. Can you help me? Sometimes maybe you have to ask a few extra times. Don't get offended because he didn't answer you the first time. You know how many times my kids ask me stuff and I'm just kicking them. Get away from me. (laughs) Finally, fine. You can have ice cream for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. (laughs) Or breakfast, lunch, and dinner. However you eat your meals. (laughs) Second lunch, third lunch. it really speaks to us in Jesus' response that he doesn't really care what people who think they're somebody have to say. You know, he's, he's, he's leaving an exchange with the Pharisees and scribes that, that, sh- that should have or could have, if it was anybody else, set some kind of standard for him in ministry. That he had to do things a certain way. But in these three stories, we see that Jesus doesn't have to do anything a prescribed way because he's the son of God. You know what we're trying to do as human beings? We're always trying to systemize everything, you know? We're trying to programize it. We're trying to put it together in a way that... We can see results and we have numbers and we have uh, quarterlies and we can talk about expenses, but we can talk about profits and we can talk about if we do this better, then we get better results. Now that's in the general sense, but people have tried to bring that into the church. And they say, well, this church does it this way and they're seeing results. So maybe if we do it that way, we can get more people to come. How about this? How about if churches teach God's word? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It doesn't really matter what I have to say to you. What matters this morning is what God has to say to you. And if God isn't speaking to you this morning because you're not willing or wanting to hear from Him, then you're not in the right place. What I mean is, you're not in the right place. You know? Like last week. Clean hands! but a filthy heart. Not willing to hear what Jesus had to say. They were just willing and and exuberant to tell Jesus what they had to say, to give him their opinions. But in the midst of that, Jesus departs. He goes to a people that nobody else cares about. He speaks to a woman And he heals her daughter. He sets a standard for us. Who's too dirty for you to love? Huh? Who's too dirty for me to give a little bit of extra time to? Who's too dirty for me to talk to? Who's not in the same place or the place I want them to be for for me to give them my time? For Jesus, it was anybody. Anybody? And his intentions were that he loved them. And all he was looking for was a response. He sees it. Verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment of speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Where did they go? Say it out. We just read it. The region of the Decapolis, right? Where did we just read, not too long ago, another story or situation that happened in this region? You guys remember? The healing of the demoniac. Jesus crosses over to this area of the Decapolis just to minister to this one person. One person! And his disciples are supposed to be getting rest, but they're rowing all night and they start freaking out because Jesus isn't, you know, he's sleeping in the bowl. Like, what's going on? We're going to die. Jesus is like, I told you we are going to the other side. You guys don't have no faith. All you are is f- afraid. They get over to the other side and Jesus ministers to this one person. What we can see in the timeline The man asks him, hey, can I come with you? He says, no, you go and you tell people the great things God has done for you. And what does the man do? He obeys Jesus and he goes and he tells. This man was a forerunner for the Gentiles, for the coming of the Messiah who was gonna return and revisit them not too much longer after. So we may be asking ourselves, where are all these crowds coming from? The third story is a doozy. Where are all these crowds coming from? Why are these people following Jesus? Why are the Gentiles so interested in the Jewish Messiah? You know why? Because God was preparing their hearts. God was getting them ready to hear the words, His words, from eternity. This is why it's so important for us. We're going on a mission trip to Ethiopia in July. That's why it's so important for us now to be praying for the condition and state of people's hearts. Because when we get there, we will meet people who are receptive and willing because the Holy Spirit testified that their life was going to change. We're going to meet people who don't care. Jesus met people all the time who didn't care. But the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts, produces that faith, for us that we need to respond to him so that we can know our Father, our Father who art in heaven, who's holy and righteous and just. the midst of the region of the Decapolis, to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, "Ephphatha, that is, be opened. Now this is interesting. What's the first thing that you think when you see Jesus healing this guy? You know, some people believe this is the first indication or, or, or the first occurrence of, of a wet willy. It's, it's not fun to get a wet willy, but would you take one from Jesus? I would. Willy me up. The problem is that's a bad interpretation because it doesn't say he spit on his fingers and put them in his ears. It says it, it, he spit on his fingers and put it on his tongue. So I don't know what that's called. Maybe we can make up a name and start doing it to people. Why would you not? because it's dirty, you know, it's, it's weird. But again, Jesus has no set requirement in how he can reveal himself and the Father to mankind. I'm surprised we don't have a church or a, a group of people that call themselves a church that are spitting on each other's tongues. I'm surprised, you know, people, you know, the, the, the point isn't the method, the point is the message. The point is Jesus reaching out to somebody that nobody else was interested in except for his friends who brought him. But this is an incredible story. Let's back up for a second. In verse 33 again, And he took him aside from the multitude, so he removes him from the crowd, again limiting the exposure, and put his fingers in his ears and spat and touched his tongue, then looked up to heaven's side and said to him, "Ephphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. The, the language in the Greek is stronger than in the English, and it says the chain that was binding his tongue was broken. There was something prohibiting his speech, and Jesus broke that impediment and gave him freedom and a loose tongue, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, But the more he commanded them, the more widely he proclaimed it. Now we do have another little glimpse into what's really happening here. Again, connecting it to last week, this is stuff that the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes would not be okay with. Jesus is ministering and healing and loving people outside of what's culturally okay. Well, we also see that there's another Greek word that that is only used one time in this sense that connects us to a verse in Isaiah chapter 35 that speaks of this man. Wouldn't it be cool to be the fulfillment of a prophecy? (laughs) Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 through 6, speaking of the Messiah says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters will, shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the deserts. That's this area. That's this man. That's Jesus touching somebody, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy of himself and freeing somebody of something that was impossible to be freed of. You may think situations in your life are impossible. You might think that there's nothing that you can do. And you're right. There isn't anything that you can do. But one thing, submit to the Lord. Cry out to Him. Ask Him over and over and over and over and over again. God, speak to me answer do this thing because with man there's things that are impossible but with god all things are possible and this is what his will and desire is for us in having that relationship with him so that he can respond to us so that he can answer And if you're never in a difficult place to be able to ask God to help, then you're never going to see Him move. So ask Him. That's why we have to receive the trial. That's why we have to accept the season, the condition. Because unless you were in that position, God's not able to be that provision that He wants to be for you, that He wants to be for me. Immediately his eyes were open, the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded, the more widely they proclaimed it. Does anybody listen to Jesus? Man, sometimes I don't tell my kids not to do something so that they won't do it. Because if I tell them not to do it, then I'm kind of giving them an indicator that it might be okay. No. (laughs) If I'm telling you not to do it, then it means not to do it. Now take that with this temperature of the climate. Could you try to wrap your head around Jesus coming to your area and healing your friend? Touching one of your family members? Hearing his words spoken and being able to keep your mouth shut about it. You see, we have received the opposite. Jesus tells us to go into all the world and tell, to tell everybody. But what I find is that we're not so willing to do that. That we're not as excited as these people are to tell other people about Jesus and they were told not to. Does that make sense? I mean, it does from what I said, but it doesn't on the other hand. I don't know that there's seasons of my life that, that God has so impacted and, and changed my life and, and taking care of certain things that or answered to prayers that it, it pushed me to want to speak to others or to talk to others more. But then there's also seasons where it's just comfortable, you know? It's not too hot. It's not too cold. Just right in the middle. And that's not okay. We have to be in a place where we are willing to talk to others, to tell others about the great things that God does, about the great things that God is doing, about the great things that God wants to do in their life instead of us just being comfortable. And you know the reason that I'm saying this and I'm being such a turkey about it? Because I know it's hard for everybody, but we really need to, it's hard for me, but we really need to to weigh our day, to look at it and say, God, if you have certain things for me today to do, I want to do them! If you have a certain person for me to meet, I want to meet them. Nobody's telling any of us to go on the street corner and start getting on a box and holding a sign and screaming about repentance and annihilation. We're talking about sharing life. We're talking about Jesus giving us something that we know that other people need and that we're going to be willing to give to them. I used to be uncomfortable. I don't want people to feel pressured. Forget that. Like, hey, let's talk to people. Let's tell people. Let's invite people to church. Let's share our own testimony with people. And again, I don't mean this in a a guilty or negative way, but but ask yourself this question. Do you know the gospel? It's very simple. But do you know where the gospel is? comes to life do you know where the power of the gospel lies in the gospel of course but but for you in your testimony that's that's the power of the gospel it's your testimony so again like not in guilt but just a simple question answer this in your head don't raise your hand please write it down when's the last time you shared your testimony with somebody You know, if somebody asked you, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself, do you go through your life and omit the fact that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? I've done it before. Well, you get to know me. I'm a pretty cool guy. My name's Tim. I'm not bad looking. I'm really fast. Used to be. And I like turtles. Pretty rounded, right? But really, who I am is a direct connection to who God's made me to be. I'm not the person that I should have ended up being. I was a turkey before. God had something different. And who you are today isn't because it's who you are. There is a certain part of your identity, who you are, that God wants you to retain for, for the sake of individuality, but he wants the expression of that identity to be through his son, Jesus. So hey, it's simple. I don't care if they're a believer, a non-believer. I don't care if you've known them for 100 years. I want to give you a challenge this week. Everybody, share your message. Share what God has done in your life. Share your testimony with somebody else because people can't argue with how God has powerfully impacted my life. In fact, don't get me started. They get scared. They're like, calm down. I'm like, I'm calm! I'm telling you about Jesus! He changed my life! Because he did. And he changed your life too. So think about it. Think about where you would be today if it wasn't for him. And if you think that it's, it wouldn't be a bad place, let me just tell you now, you're wrong. Think of the little inclinations that you had before that you may have followed and what the implications of that would be. They wouldn't be good. They would be the product of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He does all things well. What a beautiful, beautiful verse and thing to say. Verse 1 of chapter 8, In those days the multitude being very great, this is the third story, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have, not continued, they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar." You know to what point these people were willing to see who Jesus was? You haven't eaten anything in three days. This is coming from Jesus. I'd be out halfway through day number one. I'm hungry, going home. I mean, you know. Three days, they're staying with him so that they can hear and see the amazing things that he's doing and he has compassion on them. He says, I want to make provision because these people have sacrificed something. I want to make provision for them so that they don't faint on the way home. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness, around the middle of the desert? Where are we going to get this bread, Jesus? Hold up, hold up. (laughs) I want to spoil the story for you. But this is the second time that Jesus has fed thousands and thousands of people in one sitting. See, there's something else going on with the disciples, too. We get the whole picture. We see the, the religious elite's response to Jesus. We see the, the, the Gentiles, his own disciples. Like, what's going? we don't know what's going on. That's how I feel half the time. Lord, I'm following you. I don't know what's going on. He's like, just keep coming. I got lots of bread and fish. I'm going to satisfy and take care of everybody. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them and they set them before the multitude they also had a few small fish and having blessed them he said to them also he set them also before them so they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments now those who had eaten were fo- about 4000 and he sent them away immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. the third story Again, it's not a question of method, because Jesus can reach people by any means. But I think that there's two things that we should see right away in this story. The first thing is, Jesus is continuing to break bread with people who haven't washed their hands. This is a group of people who are very clearly, in everybody's minds, unclean. I don't know if you all have been camping in the desert before. I don't like camping in the desert. When I go camping, I want to go to the mountains where there's trees and water. I used to go to Dumont very often when I was a teenager. I had some off-road vehicles, and I'd go out to Dumont. And when you camp in the desert, especially if you're in a tent or something, you know what you get real quick? Dirty. Filthy. Unless you're, one of those, unless you're one of those fancy high rollers with the big RV, taking your shower and washing your hands all the time, you don't really care. You just do what you got to do. Notice the number of people this time is 4,000. And the number seven in the Bible indicates what? Completion. What's the number of Four. Number four is multitude. And notice that he doesn't specifically say that they're just men this time. This is whoever's there, the 4,000 that are gathered. And as he's ministering to them, what this is indicative of, still in the vein of, of those who are dirty, Jesus is reaching out to them, ministering to them, what we can see is he is willing and able to meet these people right where they're at. What's the other thing? What's the second thing that's connected, would you say? Well, I remember the first story of the woman and her, her witty response to Jesus. Even the, the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now we're not talking about crumbs, are we? We're talking about Jesus satisfying a multitude. The message surely will go first to the Jew, but it will also surely go to the Gentile, and it will not be meager in its provision. In fact, I came up with three things of these three stories to help us remember today if you want to write them down. The first is Jesus' response to the Pharisees and scribes, is that he ministers to the dirty individual. He met that woman right where she was, and he ministered to her as an individual. The second one, Jesus ministered to the deaf man intentional. He intentionally did things to this man to let him know that he cared for him and that he was going to be okay. Could Jesus have snapped his fingers and said, you can hear and you can talk? Yeah, he could have. But there there was an intentional nature in how Jesus took care of that situation because he loved that man as a person for who he was, even if he wasn't an Israelite or somebody that was okay to touch. Even in his uncleanness. In fact, there wouldn't be any kind of question, would there, if Jesus snapped his fingers? But for the religious people, the question would come is, why did you touch him? He's unclean. And Jesus says, because I came to take the infirmity of mankind. I think that there's something else to be said in Jesus spitting. He's spitting out. He's spitting out. The garbage that the world has. And he cleanses this guy. So we have individual, we have intentional, and then the third, with the 4,000, we have the infinitude. This doesn't really represent 4,000 people. I believe this story, especially in the context of our sandwich, what Jesus is trying to say is that His desire isn't for a number of people in the desert who who are dirty. His desire is for all mankind. And we are all filthy. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have nothing to offer God. We have no place, no standing And yet Jesus comes and visits us. He touches us. He heals us. And their response? They can't keep silent. They've got to tell everybody. So he sent them away immediately and got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Individual intentional infinitude where are you guys at where are you at this morning do you need cleaning confess your sins he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness are you clean Maybe it's time to go touch somebody who's dirty. Maybe it's time to break out from what's comfortable for us and to touch somebody else who you and I both know Jesus would have touched. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the truth of your word, and the power of your word, and the rawness of your word. And that these aren't just stories that we can look at and talk about or try to hermeneutically interpret, but that we can be touched by. Because these same people that we see, Lord, in your word, these same people that we see you touch, we are they. We are the unclean. We are those who are not sufficient of ourselves. And God, we need you today. We thank you today for touching our lives, for giving us a testimony. Lord, give us the empowering of your Holy Spirit. to go share that testimony with others this week. God, we love you. We thank you that we are not who we should be. That we're more like you than we realize because we've submitted ourselves to you. We thank you for doing that work, Lord, faithfully. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.